what in the world is going on with the world today? What is going on? We're in a time of turmoil that is tearing apart the very fabric of our country and our communities. Even in our own communities, we're starting to see people just be torn apart. People are posting things in their yard that they're for this or against this. And communities are just being torn apart. They're being divided. It's, it's amazing to watch right now. But the interesting thing, I think, is the fact that every time there's something going on in the world, here's a shocker, God knows. Not only does he know, but he has exactly what we need to hear about it. And so as God has been kind of speaking to us through this series and talking about beginnings, God has created something very helpful for us in healing our broken communities, and it is that very thing. It's community. Today we're going to be talking about the community of God and what that looks like and what he did to establish his own community through which all families of the world will be blessed for all time. Now, one of the things that I always have to remind myself as I'm studying Scripture is that the Bible was not written to me, but the Bible, in fact, was written for me. Now, this might seem like the same thing, but really it's different. Let me explain. One of the best wedding gifts that I ever heard being given was given by the grandmother of the groom, and he gave, she gave it to the bride, and it was a tattered old box. And inside this box were letters, correspondence that were written between her and her then-deceased husband during World War II. And in this tattered box on the top, it simply read, I hope this comes to mean as much to you as it did to me. Those letters were written in a different time. They were written in a different place. Really, they were written in a different world. But the contents of those letters for that bride and groom came to be something that they could use to see what love looked like how to communicate with each other, how to fight well, all these things that we've learned about marriage, they were contained inside these letters. Those letters were not written to them. It was between the, the, the husband and wife during World War II, but these letters were given to them. They were for them. And it's likewise with the Word of God. It was written to specific people at a specific time, but its contents are for all people for all time. And I have to remind myself of that when I'm studying Scripture. God the word of God was not written to me, but it certainly, most certainly, was written for me. So why does this matter? Well, the last few weeks we've been in a series called Beginnings. In the last two weeks, we've been spending time in the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis was written to a very specific people at a very crucial time. The book of Genesis was written by Moses as the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. Moses was tasked by God through his inspiration to tell the Israelites the story of how they got to where they were at that point. So Moses begins by telling them this beautiful story of God's love. Through the story of creation that Chad talked about a couple weeks ago, Moses tells the people of God's love for them and how all things once were good, but something happened. He tells them how sin entered the world and all that was good was ruined by the introduction of sin to the world. And we enter into this period of chaos that, that Chad talked about last week. The shalom, this peace that used to exist in Eden when things were perfect, has now been corrupted and destroyed in a moment of chaos that would reverberate for all time. Now, it's at this point that I can imagine Moses telling the Israelites this story, and there's a gasp throughout the crowd. They're, they're wondering, 
how is God going to fix this? How is God going to restore the relationship? And the funny thing is, is God does this by choosing this very group of people. He chose the Israelites through which to establish his community and restoration for all people. Now, one of the things that I always say, and for those of you who aren't teens, which is all of you, um, you may not know that I say this, but one thing that I always say is that before God created, he related. Sorry. I'm telling you, if the teens were in here, they would impress you all because I say, okay. Before God created, he related. One of the things that's really amazing about God is before time even began, God was in community with the Trinity. Before he laid the foundations of the earth, the Trinity existed. Community existed before all things. Uh, We read in John 1, 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, that Word is Christ. That's what we're talking about here. God, Christ, the Holy Spirit were all together from the very beginning. He was in community in his creation. Then he created Adam and Eve. And there was perfect community, but it was destroyed by sin. And now God begins the process of restoring community with his creation through a man named Abraham. In Genesis 12, we read, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And you, all families of the earth, will be blessed. Now at this point, I can imagine the people, the Israelites, saying, Wait, did he just say the Lord commanded Abraham? Is this Yahweh, our Yahweh, that called us out of Egypt as well? And Moses responds, of course, with an excited, Yes, it's the very same God. The very same God that called you out of Egypt also was the God that called Abraham. And now he has everyone's attention. And they want to know, what did Yahweh say to Abraham? First off, I want to say that Abram is Abraham. I don't have time to go into this, but in scriptures, in Genesis, when we start talking about Abram and Abraham, there is a time in Genesis 17 when God changes the name of Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. So we're talking about the same guy here. So the interesting thing about Abraham, though, is the fact that he certainly was not the usual or typical candidate. He wasn't really a good choice for this. Now, Abraham was raised and lived in an area called Ur of the Chaldeans, which is better known as Mesopotamia, which is now modern-day Iraq. And we know a lot about this time and place in history because it's when civilization truly began. Cities formed and established societies began. But it was a polytheistic society. Polytheistic meaning many gods. They believed and worshipped in many gods at this time. So Abraham would have been chosen from a land that worshipped many gods. Now the interesting thing about that, of course, is the fact that this is being told to the Israelites who were just coming out of Egypt, which also was a polytheistic society. Abraham was saying, look, the very same God that called Abraham out is the one true God, the very same God that called you out into the desert. There is only one true God, and that's what Abraham is trying to reinforce at this point. Now, the story of Abraham begins with God's call on his life, and he tells him to go forth, which, again, is important considering the audience. So there's a bit of a theme here with what Moses is telling through Abraham's story to the Israelites as they are wandering in the desert. Now, the promises that stand out the most to me with Abraham 
is that he'll become a great nation, that his name will be great, and that through him all families will be blessed. Now, for us as readers of the Bible, we have some insights into these things that they did not, of course, and so we kind of know how many of these prophecies came to pass. We know that through Abraham in time, the Israelites did in fact become a great nation. We know that their story uh, all throughout the New Testament, I'm sorry, the Old Testament, and of course, they had some challenges, the Israelites did, but they still became a great nation. The second promise is that Abraham's name would become great, and we know that Abraham's, Abraham's name did become great, not only in the Old Testament, as we always read what's called the patriarchs, which is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's always mentioned in that grouping. But also later in Hebrews, Paul talks about uh, Abraham as one of the, what, what we call the hall of faith, when he talks about the great men of faith from the Old Testament. Paul lists Abraham amongst these. So we know that Abraham was a great nation. We know that he was great by name. But the final promise that God gives to Abraham in this list is that all families will be a blessing and all the earth will be blessed. Now this promise we don't see in total fulfillment until the New Testament age. At the beginning of the book of Matthew, we see how this came to pass through the genealogy of Jesus. And I could read the genealogy to you, but I'd rather sing it. Andrew Peterson is one of my favorite songwriters, and he wrote a great song called Matthew's Begets. Well, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar. Perez he brought Hezron up and then came Aram then Amenadab then Nashan who was then the dad of Salmon with Rahab fathered Boaz Ruth she married Boaz who had Obed who had Jesse Jesse he had David who we know as king David he had Solomon by dead Uriah's wife well Solomon well you all know him he had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Uzziah, who had Jotham, then Ahaz, then Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Amen, who was Amen, who was father to a good boy named Josiah. Who grandfathered Jehoiakim, who caused the Babylonian captivity because he was a liar. Well, then he had Shealtiel, who begat Zerubbabel, who had Abiad, who had Eliakim. Eliakim had Azor, who had Zadok, who had Achim. Achim was a father of Eliud then. He had Eleazar, who had Nathan, who had Jacob. Now listen very closely, I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, mother of Christ. The genealogy. We find this in the book of Matthew, and it stems from Abraham. 
God chose Abraham, a great man from which would become a great nation that would eventually lead to the birth of Jesus through which true community, shalom, and peace can be restored. Community. It's all about restoring a community of God's people that he can call his own through which all will be blessed. When we become followers of Christ and are baptized into the family of God, we become a part of the great community of God. But what does this community look like? The Bible, the New Testament, tells us all over the place, but I picked a few of my favorites. One is in Galatians 3. For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to his promise. We are the heirs of Abraham. We are a fulfillment of promise to Abraham. God promised to Abraham that we would be blessed because of him. We are a chosen people, chosen to be a holy community. In Acts, we read, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them all as anyone might have a need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Now what we need to realize is that God rescues us so that we can, can develop a true community. It's not about me. It's not about any one individual person. It's about us as a community. In John 17, Jesus is speaking to the Father about the disciples, and he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, speaking of the disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word, which, of course, is us, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you see how significant that is? The oneness of Christ is the revelation of his existence. Our community exists as a very means by which to show the world that Christ is, in fact, alive. In a lot of ways, though, we have lost sight of biblical community. Our relationship with God has been formed on primarily individualistic terms. Salvation is presented to us as the forgiveness of our personal sins for the purpose of our personal salvation with personal restoration. This personal restoration has been presented as a pathway to personal righteousness and personal spiritual growth that ultimately leads to personal spiritual fulfillment. Almost all of the focus is on the individual. This perhaps is why it's hard at times for us to look past our own needs and to look at the needs of the larger community. Sometimes I feel like, I want to leave my spiritual life at home. It's messy. It may not look as good as some other people's spiritual lives. I'm, I'm on staff here, and I, I know that there's a lot of pressure. If you guys don't know this, there's a lot of pressure being an ministry person on staff. My spiritual life is, is not better than anybody's. But I, I, I commit to you, and I commit to God that daily I continue to seek God. 
I try to become the disciple that he's called me to be, but it doesn't look good every day. So sometimes I want to leave that outside these walls because I don't want to, quite frankly, I don't want to disappoint anybody. I know primarily I should only be concerned about disappointing God, which I am, but I also don't want to disappoint anybody else. I, moving on. In 1 Corinthians, it says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Christ, God, Holy Spirit, Trinity, creation, before they created, they related. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. We are all a part of the body of Christ, and we all have a part to play in this community. And one thing that we need to realize, and this is what's very important, God is at work. God is at work. But I'm going to say something that might sound a little harsh to you, but I believe it to be 100% biblically accurate. God does not need you. That sounds very strong and very heavy, but don't forget who we're talking about. For God who laid the foundations of the very earth What do you say to Job? Gird your loins, O man, so that I might test you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God does not need us. Acts 17, 24 and 25 says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God does not need anything from us. But, but, he wants us to be a part of his work. And he has equipped every one of us to be a part of his work. He went so far as to send his only son to die to restore your relationship to him so that you can be a part of the work that he is doing. The question really we have to ask is, is are we taking seriously the call that we've already accepted when we became a disciple? God seeks followers who are committed to their discipleship and he's seeking and, and, and who are seeking God's call in their lives. God's going to accomplish his work one way or another. One of my greatest fears, I tell Kelly this all the time, one of my greatest fears is that I, my ear will fall deaf to the call of God and that he'll choose somebody else over me because I wasn't ready for what he had for me. I'm afraid to miss out. I don't want to miss out on the blessing, the amazing opportunity to serve my king. I don't want to miss that. I continue to pursue him and pursue him and seek him and try to find, God, is this what you want for me? Maybe is this what you want for me? And then as soon as I hit on it, I know, okay, now we're together. I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. I just don't want to miss out because, quite frankly, he's going to get it done one way or another. And I just want to be the one to, get, to play a part in it. And what we might need to ask ourselves is, are we really committed to being a part of the community of God? Are you doing your part in God's community because through your commitment and participation in this community, you will begin to heal your communities as well and work as well as where you live. Those community, those communities will have healing through your participation in this community here. And the story of community first came creation, but then because of sin, chaos came and destroyed our peace, shalom. And we can see that that very chaos around us as we watch and read the news every day. Chaos is everywhere. This peace at creation that Chad talked about last week was destroyed because of sin. But from that chaos came a process of restoration that would lead to God choosing Abraham 
to establish a community, a group of people that he could lovingly call his own, and they would become the community of God. He gave Abraham a promise. He promised that his name would be great, that his nation would be great, and ultimately that all would come to be blessed because of him. Through these promises and through this community came the one, Jesus Christ, who would sacrifice himself for all people, and now all can become a part of this great community of God. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to write your part of this great story of God's community? Douglas Burst says, the real issue that we are faced with is not whether or not people accept or reject the church, but if they accept or reject the church rooted in a biblical understanding of true community, regardless of the individual tra individualistic trajectory of society, the church must continue to shine the light of authentic relationships. Why is this so hard? And we just can't seem to get it right. Why is it hard at times to develop a community like this? Well, one reason is, is because sometimes we can get caught up in other communities. We can support other things that can hurt the progress of God's community. We need to think about our role in the community of God. We may need to decide if what we are supporting outside of this community is something that I really should support or not. Is it something that I should say, something that I should post, something I should tweet, something I should share on my Facebook page? Is what we are doing outside of this community helping or hurting the community of God? Another reason why God's community is sometimes hard to cultivate and develop is because sometimes we don't have a healthy perspective of what God's community should look like and how we should act. I want to read you a brief excerpt from a book called The Community of God by Douglas Birch. In it, he says, Sadly, many believers approach the church with an escapist notion of authentic Christian community. Although they accept the truth that marriages, families, and even nations are full of unavoidable conflict, they are reluctant to embrace that notion for the church. Instead, they live their lives convinced they can find or create a church void of the relational conflict common in all human relationships. As a result, they constantly face disappointment with the church's inability to measure up to their idealized fiction of a perfect church. That church has never existed and will never exist this side of heaven. Instead of, how to, instead of learning how to love, work, and abide with the church as it is, they constantly seek a mirage church that does not include intentionally and faithfully gathering with broken people. We have to be realistic about what it means to be a part of the community of God. We are all broken people. Every week we walk through those doors, we're still broken people. But for some reason, at times, we feel like our pain, our fears, our doubts are not welcome in the very place that they should be. This is where that should be most welcome. But we cannot allow the influences of our external communities to affect what happens inside God's community. His community has a different set of rules, laws, expectations, and blessings. We have to keep God's community first in our lives. We are a community. We want to be a growing community that is growing. God has called each one of you to play a part in his great work. And if you have made the commitment to be a part of his community, you can take part in the work that he's doing in this very community here at The Journey. You have gifts and talents that you have been given to by God to offer to this community if you truly choose to commit to being a part of it. 
But at times, it can be very difficult when we get caught up in other communities. And it blurs the lines. It makes it difficult to be a community that truly glorifies God. But that is what we seek. We do this through grace. And we can do it. And next week, Chad's going to talk a little bit about how it's possible. So let me give you a few steps, a few next steps for you. First of all, maybe you're sitting here and listening and thinking, well, I, I wasn't really familiar with this community. I didn't realize that, that I needed to be a part of God's community, but, but I want to be. I want to be a part of God's community. We're going to have people up front here that you can come and talk to. We would love to talk to you if you just want to become a part of God's community if you never have before. Some of you might be thinking, well, I am a part of the community, but I'm not really playing a part in the community. So perhaps you're in a position where you just need to step up your game. Maybe you need to start fulfilling the commitment you made to Christ when you became a disciple. Maybe it's time for you to truly find your place in this community. And if that's you, please feel free to come forward. And lastly, maybe you don't have problems on either of those fronts. Maybe you've already made the commitment. Maybe you're already serving here. That's fine. If you have anything else that you need prayed for, we're more than happy to pray for you for those things. And we'd be here to pray with anybody who would want to pray for our community here. One of the great things about being a part of God's community is the fact that we get to come together and share in communion. Communion is the opportunity to remember the sacrifice that Christ made. Not just the sacrifice, but also the fact that the great news is that he didn't stay dead. Christ rose again. Christ rose again to fulfill every promise that was ever made through God, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and through the Old Testament. Every promise was confirmed the moment that that stone rolled away and Jesus was not there. Everything. The community that God has created can be and will be restored. The question is, is do you want to be a part of that community? Are you committed to being a part of that community? I'd ask if you'd all stand with me. We're going to sing together. And as we do, uh, we're going to take our communion. As the band starts to sing, I'd ask that uh, there's stations on the front and back. So if you're near the front, come this way and the back that way. Uh, as the band starts to sing, let's share in this part of our community together.